Thank you for joining us for this three-part series on Bible Doctrine. This is something that Clint and I have been talking about and something that he presented that would be helpful to the church. We hope that you enjoy it, and if you will click to the website, you will find some accompanying notes that may help you with your own study. God bless you. Just to introduce a little bit doctrinal series that uh, we here at the church are going to do uh, just for, I don't know, two, three weeks, whatever, three, four weeks. Uh, Brother Derwin's going to be preaching on some stuff, and uh, Daniel and I are sitting here talking. Uh, I don't know how much y'all heard about this, but uh, talking about Herschel Hobbs, the guy that wrote this book. And this, this book is actually comes out of the writings that he did back in the... Uh, 50s and 60s, I guess you could say. Uh, Herschel was pastor for many years of uh, First Baptist Church, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, a well-known, well-respected Southern Baptist uh, pastor, but I guess you call him theologian, historian. Yeah. You know, and uh, we recommend if you want a copy of this book to get it. Uh, it's called Fundamentals of Our Faith by Herschel Hobbs, and, and this first video. Daniel and I are covering the chapters on the Bible and creation. Uh, before we begin, uh, I'd like to pray for us, and then we're just going to, and, and I want to tell you now, we're not going to cover all that's in the book. We're just hitting a few high points here, just to kind of supplement what you might read uh, if you read in the book or in the scriptures that we give you. And uh, we're going to have a, a handout or two that, that if you listen to these videos, you can follow along with a handout maybe that'll help you a little bit but let's pray father we come to you in jesus name just thank you for the opportunity to teach and to learn and to discuss and to grow together pray your blessings on these efforts where we ask it in your son's name amen. amen so i'm going to start off with the bible daniel's going to kick in a bit here and there and then he's going to leave with the creation part and i'll kick in a bit or two So uh, we Baptists, Southern Baptists, and I heard this here in America, but I also heard it when I lived in Africa. We are known as people of the Word, and uh, because of our devotion to the the Word of God, and both the living Word and the written Word, and uh, and so I guess it's it's good that they start to study off with the Bible. And uh, got a couple of quotes here, and I can't tell you who said these things. I, I don't know. Somebody said, read it to be wise, believe it to be safe, and practice it to be right. I, I like that. And somebody else said that the Bible is Christ from Genesis to Revelation. As a New Testament Christian, looking back in that Old Testament, you see Jesus, you know. So, uh, but I want you to note, the overall purpose, I believe, of the Bible, and I think most of us would agree with this, the overall purpose of the Bible is to bring man to God, to reunite man to God. You know, Adam and Eve and the fall and the influence of sin has had and all that, separation. So the story throughout the Bible, the purpose of the Bible from creation to Christ is to bring man to God. And uh, there's a lot of stuff in there, and we're not going to get into all of that. Uh, prophecy and poetry and history and a lot of stuff. But... Uh, 
I have some historical information here. I'm just going to share, try to share it in a hurry so it doesn't get boring. Um, most of you who are watching this know that, that the original Bible didn't look like this or this stack of Bibles I got here in different languages and stuff. Um, that it, it, it was scrolls, you know, or stuff inscribed on pieces of clay even uh, for the Old Testament part of that. And so uh, the word Bible is a transliteration of the word biblios, or biblos, which I think is Greek. Yeah, Greek. Yeah. And it refers to the inner bark of the papyrus plant, and it meant book, okay? The uh, Bible has 66 total books, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. The Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew, New Testament in Greek, and not all that long after that uh, was over into Latin. And... Uh, didn't go very far after that for a long time before it finally got into German and, and then English. And there was a high price paid by those who did those translations. I'll talk a little bit more about that in a bit. <coughs> um, I would like to spend a minute. Why is it important to we Baptists? You know, why is the Bible important? Why, why do we put so much emphasis on the Bible? Well, I'm going to contrast us to two or three other groups. I'm not trying to cause arguments and bad feeling or nothing like that, but I think it's important for us to know. We Baptists totally rely on Scripture, the Bible. We don't have any other outside books or teachings. It's, it's the Bible. If it's not in here, then we shouldn't be following it, okay, uh, as far as uh, spiritual things go. Uh, however, some of our neighbors around, the Catholics, they rely on church tradition and Scripture, uh, Mormons have the Book of Mormon, Pearl of Great Price, Doctrine and Covenants, Book of Abraham, and they used the Bible. They've got these other teachings out there. Jehovah's Witnesses, they've actually changed their Bible. And I'll tell you, once in Africa, some Jehovah's Witnesses come by my house, and they were trying to, to convert us. And uh, so I asked to hold one of their Bibles because I was going to read to them out of their Bible what Scripture said. And, and, and uh, when I looked at it, I got confused because they actually have changed it. So you can't do that. You've got to stick not with their version, but with your version. And, of course, uh, Muslims uh, that Harriet and I worked with for many, many years and still do in some ways rely on the Koran. That's, that's their, their book. So different groups, different books. We Baptists, one book, the Bible. That's where we're at. Um, there are some scriptural references. I'm not going to go read these, but I'll write them. I'll call them out if you want to write them down. That refer to being careful with how you handle the Bible, and refer to the fact that you should not change what is in the Bible. And Revelation chapter 22 refers, and verses 18 and 19 there that actually refers to the book of Revelation and not the whole Bible. But the principle of protecting the book of Revelation should be applied to the whole Bible. So. Revelation 22, 18, and 19. And then Deuteronomy, uh, Moses warned, don't change the commandments of God. And that's in Deuteronomy 4. And so the principle is that we need to handle it with care. Don't, and by that I mean, in our respect to the book, uh, don't change it. Don't say, well, I don't like the way that sounds. I'm going to rewrite that verse, you know. We don't have that option. This was given by God's Holy Spirit using 57 different authors through a long period of time. And they all wind up agreeing with each other. And no, no matter the fact that it's 57 of them, there were farmers, shepherds, tent makers, physicians, governors, and kings. 
It took over 1,500 years for God to give us this book. And so it's very important. The content is divine, though the book itself is made out of paper and ink, and you can write on it and make notes on it if you so choose. Uh, Harriet and I will tell you from the missionary standpoint, I have a Bible, this Bible, my study Bible. I do a lot of note-taking in it. Sometimes Brother Derwin's preaching and Daniel's teaching or something, I, I go make a note. But if I'm going to witness to Muslims, I have another Bible that is not written in because they don't have the Holy Spirit within them. They don't understand that you can write on these pages if you need to. And so you want to take a clean Bible usually when you're trying to share the gospel with lost people. And then later, as they grow in their discipleship, they will come to understand uh, things the way we do. So anyway, there's a little bit of history there, and I'm not going to get deep into this, but a couple of names I'd like for you to look them up. Uh, John Wycliffe, translated from Latin into the language that ordinary people could read, and he got in a lot of trouble for that. And uh, in fact, uh, they tried to persecute him and stop him from translating the Bible because at that time the religious leaders of the established church wanted to totally control everything. And they did not trust the everyday guy to be able to read scripture and get it right. And so John Wycliffe said, no, the Holy Spirit will help everybody. And so let's get it in the language they can understand. And uh, he was persecuted for it. He eventually died of a stroke, not from the persecution, just died of a stroke. But then they dug his body up and burned it afterwards. That's how angry they were at him. 400 years later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, uh, you know, it, 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 a lot of people have paid a price for uh, William Tyndall was burned at the stake. Because, and all he tried to do was bring the Greek language Bible into English, which is what we have today, all right? That's all he tried to do. And, and he got burned at stake by the English king. And many people have paid a heavy price to, uh, to get these scriptures where we can, everyday man can read them. And uh, it's important to us. The Bible talks about redemption, judgment, and Christian duty. But overall, number one, its purpose is to bring man back to God. So that's a little background history stuff there. You got anything that strikes you want? Yeah, you know, as you're talking about the purpose of the Bible is to bring man back to God. And the way we do that is through faith that God himself has given himself for us. And uh, so it, it, the story is God's revelation and desire for relationship with man. And that's what gives us the basis to even begin to search for God or, or believe that we have a place in God. Uh, I did want to note one of the things that you were pointing out was how different traditions or even to some degree even within denominations within the U.S. and not to get too, you know, frog hair splitting here, yeah. but uh, the role that Scripture has, has played and, and as you noted at the beginning, the Baptists are considered people of the Word. It, all of these other entities or groups of people are using Scripture, whether it's modified or unmodified, but they're using it on the same level as they use something else. Whereas with us, uh, we see the scripture of God as singular in its position, um, as the only thing that is truly from God, God's revelation um, to man. Uh, one of the things that he notes in here is how 
uh, the Bible contains truth not to be found in any other book. And while we may discover some truth about God through nature and reason, the Bible far exceeds that. I thought it was a really interesting way of tying what you were saying there, of uh, you know, pulling it there. That yeah. it's not just that we see the Bible as as you know this singular book; it's that we see the Bible as alone in this position, uh, whereas these other groups see it as being you know held up by other things. And, right. And it's so easy for us to get pulled into that too without realizing. Yeah. You know, we take somebody like even somebody like a Herschel Hobbes, and we say, "Well, you know, if Herschel Hobbes says that that's the truth, or it's such whatever." And, you know, he was trying to do it; yeah. he was trying to tell the truth. But but it goes the other way. If the Bible says that that's the truth, yeah. no matter who the writer is uh, of, the, of whatever book we're talking about. Yeah, I thought and I, I thought it was good, and in, in, uh, so we looked at that. Uh, I want to share with y'all, uh, having worked in uh, on the mission field. And, and this is outside the Bible, I, I know that, but I want to share this with you because it's happened many times that devout Muslim people have had visions and dreams around the world and they all come with the same story. Uh, basically the same story, I'm going to say it that way. A man in white appears to them and says, go to the Christians, they will show you my book or some version of that. And, uh, you know, the Lord is still using his word today. That's why the Gideons, praise the Lord for the Gideons. Their number one job is to get the word of God out there. And we host a breakfast here at the church every year, was it um, February or so? I think that's right. And uh, all the Gideons from the area come for the breakfast, and then they go out and speak in the churches. And, and we got a few men here at Second Baptist who are active in that organization. Uh, but praise the Lord for them because they go into the jails and prisons and hotels and foreign countries and everywhere and their whole purpose is just putting the word of God into the hands of the people because we have seen time and time again as people read the scripture the Holy Spirit speaks to their heart through it and lives are changed and I hear their testimonies because a lot of times me and Derwin sometimes Daniel Daniel's so busy he ain't always there but, but we eat breakfast with them and they get up and tell these testimonies uh, and the last one I heard a guy in a hotel with a gun fixing to kill himself and uh, uh, he pushed something or hit something on the bedside table and a book fell off onto the floor and he looked down and it was a Bible and it had fell open to a scripture if I remember the story right and he picked it up I was holding the gun down he picked it up and he read whatever it was he read and he put the gun down and saved his life and he came to Christ and is serving the Lord today so the Lord uses his word, all right? And, and I don't want y'all to forget that. Uh, I want to share some scripture with you. 2 Timothy chapter 3 is very familiar to a lot of people. Uh, we're going to look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And guys, the Bible claims this to be inspired word of God and have this, this special powers that, that we see here, if you won't call it powers. I know, maybe I'm using the wrong word there, but um, it is a very special book. And uh, you look up in verse 15, 
Paul was writing to Timothy and he said, From childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Now this book can bring you to Christ. It doesn't save you. Jesus Christ saves you. Alright? But this is very, very important. Protected by God through down through the ages and we have it today. I guess it's been the earliest writings in here would have been thousands of years ago. Yeah. So. Well, yeah, over 4,000 years ago. It's interesting, though, in this th thing when Tim Paul is saying this to Timothy, that Paul at this time, uh, the only scriptures they had would have been Genesis through Malachi. Yeah. Not Malachi. Yeah, it Malachi. Would've, it would have been just been the Old yeah, Testament. Yeah, yeah. And uh, because you had almost 400 years between Malachi and Jesus' appearance on earth. And so... What Paul is saying to Timothy here, and now granted, Timothy had a huge advantage over us because he was a first century Jew, had, you know, memorized probably huge portions of the scripture, it would have been his requirement to do so. Paul even notes that here, how he learned it from infancy. Um, but he would have only had the Old Testament. Paul, but Paul is now telling him that because you've been told about Jesus and told that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of those messianic prophecies that we've pointed to for thousands of years that that is enough for you to take and instruct and, and, and design your life and that's an incredible thought because I I read the Old Testament as much and I have for years with a bunch of moral stories do this be better try harder but it's not as you know God's compassion God's mercy God's forgiveness God's restoration uh, just over and over again and Paul's telling Timothy that's enough for you to function yeah, as everything is there, actually. As a Christian, looking back at the Old Testament, everything is in there. Yeah. You know, from the creation all the way down, the fall to everything there, and how to come back to God, uh, everything. Judgment, if you don't come back to God, everything is so there. Basically, Timothy had the Old Testament, and then the verbal Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mm -hmm. So it's very similar to us saying, well, after the book of John, you know, before we even get to Acts, we don't have anything. And then that's what Timothy would have had, that knowledge. That's an incredible thought. I, I, I've got to say this. Look again at verse 15. That from childhood you have known. Timothy is in that second generation of believers after Christ, okay? And you go back in here, and I, I can't remember the verse. I was hoping my eyes would just jump to it. <laughs> but he was heavily influenced a grandparent, listen to this, by his grandmother and his mother. We who are older have an important role to play in exposing our children and grandchildren to the Bible and to the message of the Bible. And, and don't back away from that because it is through this book that God can speak to them in, in powerful ways as well as through, you know, us. But don't, don't back away from that. Don't let them grow up ignorant of Scripture. Anyway, so uh, there's another scripture that goes with this Bible claims to be the inspired word of God, and that is Psalm 119.89, if you want to go and look at that, but I'm not going to, to go there right now. Right now, I'm going to go to this, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Because some people say, they will tell you, you, tell, you I was talking to a young man online the other night, a former student of mine, I had a long conversation, he sees struggling he, he's needing some help and and i encouraged him to read the book of first john i told him it's one of my favorite books in the bible and now 
Some people, when you tell them to read something in the Bible and they read it and they come back and say, well, I don't understand it. I'm confused. Well, there's a reason for that. You know, without the Holy Spirit of God within us, we will have trouble understanding some things here. The Holy Spirit helps us. He opens that up to us. And sometimes some people have to turn their heart over to God before they truly get the message here. But look at this. 1 Corinthians 2.14. Um, but the natural man, meaning the man without has not come to Christ. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. You just need to understand the Scripture is telling us. Not everybody's going to understand what they're reading. You remember the story of the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts? He didn't understand what he was reading. And yet Philip was able to talk to him and lead him to Christ. Of course, he was baptized and went on and some church traditions say he played a big role in the establishment of the church movement down in uh, north, what would it be, northeast Africa. But anyway, uh, just the point that just telling them to read it is not always you know, enough. Sometimes we've got to sit and talk with them. Sometimes we've got to help them. And, and uh, the Holy Spirit, though, will take whatever he can get, and he will work with that. So if all you can do is give them scripture, give them scripture. And, and that, is, a lot of times, is sufficient. I know missionaries, that's, that's some of what they're doing. They're just giving Scripture, just giving Scripture and letting the Holy Spirit work because he does work with that. Sometimes we need to sit and talk to him like Philip did. Okay. Uh, the Bible claims special power over in Hebrews. And uh, sometimes, and I have found in my ministry, some people, they do not want to read the Bible. They're afraid of it. All right, They've had a little exposure to it. And in Hebrews 4.12, you see why. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow. And here's the thing. And is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Holy Spirit takes the word of God and digs deep into a person and exposes to him as well as to others. This is who you really are. This is what's wrong with you. And this is the way you need to go to fix it. And some people don't want to hear that. So the, the Word of God is, is powerful. And of course we should always go back to what Paul told Timothy. We need to study the Bible in uh, first, uh, 2 Timothy 2.15. We need to study the Bible. We need to, use, we need to study it. We need to know it. We need to be ready to speak it when we get a chance. And so those are the points I made here that I wanted to bring out. Uh, historically as well as a little bit of of that. Uh, Daniel, you got anything you want to add? We've been talking for a while, so I don't mind. Well, uh, one quick suggestion, and then I have a, a thought that I think will kind of transition us into uh, this look at creation. But one of the things that, you know, Clint mentioned, uh, some people just don't want to read Scripture. And it, it made me think of something that, uh, that I have done personally and that I recommend to, to anyone, and that's... Uh, the YouVersion app, which is actually produced by Life Church, um, the YouVersion app will actually, and this is not what he was saying, but anyways, it has an audio thing and it's free. So literally, if you get in your car instead of listening to music or listening to a podcast or whatever, and you just hit that and it'll read it in whatever yeah. translation you choose. That's not what you were implying. You were talking about the refusal to right, ingest right, God's right. Word. Uh, but it made me think about that. And I always, I, I try to recommend that every couple of weeks when I'm doing a teaching thing because it's such a powerful thing. And 
I hear people, I've heard people say, and I actually heard a, a pastor say one time in a very, you know, angry way, you know, you can't do, you can't really study God's word like that. You're not doing et cetera, et cetera, because you basically put an underline, highlight, look up the Greek word or whatever. Yeah. But guys, that is, um, that's almost like music in the sense that I sometimes will ask kids, what do you think about such and such a song? Well, I like the beat. Okay, but you weren't singing the beat. You were singing the lyrics. Well, allowing scripture to be read to us is very much similar of allowing the truth of God's word to just wash over us. And it will strike us differently at different times. And that's why I've enjoyed it because I'll start thinking about a part it says the guy will keep reading because I don't stop him. He'll read for another 10 minutes. That's fine. My mind's still back over there. Yeah. You know, yeah, and it gives me the freedom to do that. Yeah. So, one of the things that Clint just mentioned that I want to kind of highlight as we move into this look of, of creation. Um, the Hebrews, especially in the, by the time they had reached the first century, they had a very systemic way of studying scripture. And they would study it. They, would, they had rabbis who were very learned in it. And they would sit around in circles or, or areas and they would discuss the scripture. Uh, and when you were talking about grandparents and parents with their children, um, one of the dangers that has happened in the Western world, you know, as a friend of mine would say, post-enlightenment, yeah. is we think that the way to get people to understand scripture is to get them to adopt certain creeds or dogmas or statements of faith. Those are important because they help us understand where we stand on issues. But what we haven't taught and what we're in danger of not teaching our kids to do is to discuss scripture. I mean, how many times do we just tell kids, this is what the Bible says, instead of saying, hey, you know what? Do me a favor. We're really struggling in this issue in our family. Will you go read through? And don't send them to the Proverbs where it says, you know, the slack, you know, go to the ant, you sluggard. I mean, you can. That's, I mean, that's, that's an appropriate parental tool. But if, they, if you're having problems with their attitude, you're having problems with convincing them of certain things, send them to passages of Scripture and encourage them to read them. And then after they've read them, sit down and have a discussion with them yeah. and let them tell you what they think that Scripture says and allow them to begin to embrace the truth of Scripture. Yeah, that's kind of a discovery Bible study method what he's saying you know have somebody read a it could be a bible story or a passage of scripture and then you sit down and say okay tell me what you got out what you heard there what you saw there you know it's, it's a discovery method and it works it really does work yeah I mean, i'm thinking like for example uh, uh, even a child that doesn't want to take um like for example responsibility of something you say well the bible says you have to do x I mean, that's that's true that's that's that is true but if you were to say to that child, hey, how about you go read the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000? And, uh, and and we'll talk about it tomorrow. And they come back tomorrow and you say, you know what happened there? Whose responsibility was that? It wasn't Jesus's. It wasn't the 12 disciples. But who took the responsibility? And why did he take the responsibility? And why did the disciples join him? And let them see and discover those things. So, anyways. I get off on tangents when it comes to teaching oh, God's word, to, but, especially to kids. But we need in our families to be teaching the Bible. And, and there are many, many, many different ways. I'm not talking about just daddy getting the Bible and preaching yeah. to the family. Yeah. There are many ways that can be done, but it needs to be done. It needs to be consistently in our lives. Uh, and many families, and you get out and talk to, to people, you'll find this. Many families have many different ways of doing it. And the reason is, 
this is what God has given us, who has preserved it, protected it down through the ages <coughs> for us to have, to help us to grow in our service to him. And uh, it's very important. Okay. Yes. So as we begin to look at this, at this thing on creation, and uh, once again, remind you, if we're using Herschel Hobbes' book, Fundamentals of Our Faith, as he addresses these issues within his own church all the way back in the 50s and 60s. But it just shows how timeless ideas and thoughts are as we address this. But one of the things, uh, and I just want to, I'm going to talk a little bit from personal experience here. When it comes to creation, uh, if you are like me, I grew up believing there was only one way to view this. And if I didn't, I probably wasn't saved. And I was literally, I was literally taught that. Um, and, and by the way, that wasn't just when I was a kid. That's been reinforced multiple times in multiple scenarios throughout my adult life as well. It wasn't until I got older that I realized that some of the very people who would say that statement to me would sit down and have fellowship with or read a book from someone on another topic with someone that completely disagreed with them on this particular topic of creation and they would embrace that person as, as a brother. And so one of the things I realized is that you know, this is one of those dogmas that we've tried to attach. And one of the things, if, if we can narrow the parameters, it makes us feel better about ourselves. And I found as I grew into adulthood and read and studied that there's so much room in here to understand Scripture. But I want to just give us a thought as we get started. Dogmatism, the idea that my way is the only right way, and by the way, Scripture is full of dogmatism. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said, I am the Son of God. So I'm not saying you don't have dogmatism, but dogmatism in certain areas gives us certainty. Certainty makes us right, and being right gives us privileges. And I have seen that evidenced in my life. So one of the things that Mr. Hobbes does as he, as he addresses this is he says the problem of creation is one of cause and effect, and behind each effect we look for a cause. And as I read that, I was struck by how often when you have a, a discussion with somebody about how the world came into being and how they came into being and what creation would have looked like and how it could have happened, that so many of the arguments against intelligent design, creation, uh, a prior being, putting things into motion, when whichever way you would like to describe it, I'm not saying there's just, so anyways, most of the arguments against that have been arguments against things that people see but don't understand. It's really, it's not an argument against the existence of a tree. It's an argument against the behavior of maybe even nature itself, the arguments against behavior of other humans. Uh, you know, one of the, when you start getting into why is there evil in the world, that is, it usually stems out of this issue here um, because we know that because we see something, there has to be something that caused this world to come into being. And it's an argument against what we can't see. So he gives us three ways of dealing with this issue. And I thought they were so good, I really just kind of pretty much copied them. He says the first way we deal with this issue of cause and effect is we use our mind. Okay, and so when we use our mind, then we use material science. In other words, this thing is this high, it's this deep, it's whatever. You can measure it. Okay, material science. And then we use philosophy. Since this thing is this deep, this high, this wide, and it exists in this place, then it could be, etc. We begin to theorize. And so that leads us to three possibilities. Number one, the atheistic belief that there is no God, that the creation itself just came into being. Um, number two, that, that there is a God. That's a deistic view. And basically God just created the world 
wound it up like a clock and threw it out in space. And by the, walked away. Kind and of walked away. Yeah. yeah. And by the way, that is probably the view that is so easy for us as believers to slip back into. That we have to set the world to rights yeah. as opposed to God setting it to rights. Uh, and then the other one is the pantheistic. And the pantheistic view is basically that God is in everything and everything is God. So it's not just that the world was created by a multitude of gods, but it's that God is everything and everything is God. So therefore the tree has you know, just as much intrinsic value as the dirt, and the dirt has as much intrinsic value as the human. And I hear Christians, mm -hmm. and I know they don't mean to, I guess, but I hear Christians actually talking that talk. Yes, yes. They say, oh, look at this beautiful sunrise. I can see God in it. Well, he's not really in it. I mean, he caused it. He created it. He set the stage for it. He, he's the creator. But it's a sunrise. It's not God. <laughs> yeah, and that's where I mean, and this is I mean, people get tired of hearing this, but uh, you know, I was having a conversation with somebody this morning where an interpreter was used. By the way, he had to come to me a minute later, and he's like, "What did he mean?" He was confused. <laughs> oh. uh, you know, did he need to go help the man unload the truck? Oh, okay. And okay. so I should have explained that better. <laughs> I see where he got that. Well, we used we used this app to 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 get it. And what I have found is in speaking across languages, and you can speak this so much better than I can, preciseness matters. Using the correct word matters. You know, if, yeah. you, see a, if you see a sunrise, you can say, I see God's creative. I see God's handiwork. I see God's, uh, you know, beauty that God has created. But you don't see, I mean, and that, I mean, you might say, well, you're picking bones there and you're, you know, you're splitting hairs. But the idea there is because then guess what the next thing we do? We the next day we say, well, Mother Nature ruined my day. Mm-hmm. I you, mean, you, you, it's very easy to keep sliding down that path and after a while you're worshiping nature instead yeah, of worshiping God. And you don't intend to. Right. You just, and that's, that's why preciseness matters. And, and don't beat yourself up if you're doing that. It's just a reminder of go back to where that thought originates and appropriately place it in the place you know that it does yeah in uh, living in africa there besides christianity there's islam but there's also african traditional religion and in african traditional religions where you see this they literally seeing a spirit in a tree and they are worshiping that tree that rock i actually know a village where they worship a rock there's a rock that stands about that tall shaped kind of like a, I don't know, it has a base that goes to a point, whatever you call that. And uh, and they sacrifice chickens and there's blood on it and everything. And I've been in that village and I've preached in that village and witnessed and talked. But they, that's what they're doing. They see stuff in nature and they say, okay, there's a spirit in there. And they actually do believe in African traditional religion that there is a God, but he's so far out there you can't know it. Yeah, yeah he's separate. Yeah. And, but you know, and I wanted to say this too, the reason we have such a problem with this, and I just got finished reading a book, um, it's a fiction book, but it, it kind of hints along with the lines of what Clint was saying there, but the reason we have such a problem with this is that our culture was so integrated religiously that we lose, we, we flop back and forth between culture and, and God's word and God's truth. And, uh, and I get that, I understand that. It's it's a good it's a good problem to have in the sense that we live in a culture that's been so influenced by Christianity, um, but it is a reminder for us of, of 
learning to put our basis not in our abilities and not in things that are around us, but in the person of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And uh, in the story I'm talking about, uh, there was a, a man learned a word, and the word was describing Jesus. But that word, pronounced a different way, meant something completely different. And his idea was, no, it means what I say it means. But the people he was seeking to minister to said, no, it means what we hear. <laughs> and, and, and man, if that's the case, wow, how much we have to pay attention to that. So the first issue is, is the mind, you know, what we can think and reason out. The second way that we try to deal with cause and effect of Christianity is revelation. And we do that through the heart, what we feel. Uh, and it's not just a feeling, but that is where it originates from. Uh, of course, the issue there is what revelation? Your revelation, my revelation, uh, the one that we we do. But what ends up happening here when you take it from the center of emotion to begin with is you put the scientist and the theologian at war with each other. Because the theologian says, well, I believe it's X, and I'm going to hold to that. And the scientist says, well, I can prove X, so I'm going to hold to that. So they begin a war with each other. And by the way, you can go back several hundred years. He cites it in the book here, and there's been a multitude of times where this type of thing has happened. Galileo, in probably the 16th century, I think, said that the sun was the center of the universe. Yeah. And he got thrown in prison for that. Now you say, well, that was the Catholic Church and we're Baptists. We don't do that. <laughs> uh, I'm, I've been around a few Baptists. We're crazy enough we would do that. I've, I've been in, you know, we're... I mean, and we're going to look at times as we get into this, what does the word day mean and 24 hours and those sorts of things in just a second here. We've done very much the same thing. And uh, Galileo was thrown in prison because he said that the earth revolved around the sun instead of the other way around. Now, what is time proven? He was right. And he was so ridiculously right that it's humorous 500 years later. It wasn't probably humorous to him while he was in there. Um, but, and then the last possibility, and this is the possibility that we try to find, and we should, is this, the heart and mind together. So we use the reason, we use our emotion, and here's two things we know. We as people, whether I don't care which theologian or ourselves, we don't know all there is to know about God, and scientists don't know all there is to know about nature. True. And to just kind of say, you know, these two realities exist within the same framework and give some space. And that's what we're going to look at now as we look at you know, the origin of the universe. So we look at, first of all, the issue of the methods of how we approach the creation. And then secondly, uh, we look at the origin of the universe. And I love what Herschel Hobbes has to say here. And so I'm going to look it up and read it. And I'm not finding it there, but he says this. Essentially he says this. We know the date of the origin of the universe in the beginning. That's what he said. <laughs> in the beginning. And, and then he goes on to say this, and I thought this was so insightful because, as I said, I grew up on one side of this, and some of you have grown up on the other, and some of you have no clue that there's even an argument about it. But, but uh, Hobbes points out, Mr. Hobbes points out here, that every person who sets a date, you know, does so outside of the realm of Scripture. Yeah, because the Bible does not set a date. And so if we say, okay, we got it all figured out, it was this day right here, well, why didn't God tell us that? Yeah, it's a man-made thing. Yeah, and, and so he begins to point out, well, then if you have scientists that disagree, then what they're really disagreeing on is not whether who is right biblically. They're disagreeing with on their methods and the uses, that, the materials that they're using and the way that they, they measure those standards. 
And that doesn't mean you can't have some that are better than others. This just simply means that you, they, the people who say they can say when the universe began, outside of in the beginning, uh, they're a little bit wrong. And, and they're stretching things. Well, I'll put it this way. They have as much proof of that as somebody who yeah. has another. You know, there are charts. I've been in churches where they got on the wall yep. charts, colorful charts that go a long ways across the wall that actually are trying to prove this. They've got it yeah. dated all the way back, you know. And, and I mean, go ahead, put it up there. But right at the beginning in huge markers, this is a possibility. Yeah. This is why we come to this reasoning. So anyway, so as we look at this, uh, we look at the uh, origin of the universe. I want to just give some things here that he gives, and I don't want to get too drugged down into this, but one of the things he does is is he gives us space, and this is on, if you get this book and you read it, you find it on Amazon for like four or five bucks. On page 18, he talks about uh, the word, the Hebrew word yom, and talks about how it means day, and that's what's used in Genesis. And then he points out four different times that it's used in Scripture and how it has four different meanings. You know, a literal 24-hour day, a short period, uh, great events, and then the last one is an unlimited time or age. Yeah, and, and we do it that way too. We say, you know, back in the day, or in the day of President Eisenhower. Yeah. We, we do the same thing, but then we want to argue about when we come to Scripture. It's not right. Well, and it's one of those things that, like I, I go back to the beginning, if we, by the way, if you, if you feel a certain way on this and you've studied it, that's your understanding, fine, but understand where I'm coming from. I'm coming from the point that when I was growing up, I was taught that if you believed outside the parameters of which I was taught, I probably wasn't saved. Yeah. And then I've heard and I've been in many places and I've taken students into places where they're basically forced into that same thing is, are you really a Christian? And they'll be like, yeah, I love Jesus and I'm, I love his word and I'm trying to follow him. And, you know, question number two is, you know, do you believe in a literal seven-day creation, 24-hour period? And the kid that's been in public school their whole life has never heard another theory or reality says, what do you mean? And I said, well, you know, I'm not even sure you're saved. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've been in those places, and I've heard those speakers, and those were the things that we're kind of pushing against here, which thankfully Mr. Hobbs gives us some to opportunity to do that. So as we look at this, uh, and by the way, here's a statement he used. The question isn't what God needed, but what he chose to use. So, you know, people say, well, if you say it's longer than seven 24-hour days, then, you know, you're saying God is weak. God showed his strength on the cross yeah. and he showed his strength in his sacrifice and that's the epitome of, of, of his strength was, was his humbleness. I think I need to inject something here that goes back to our Bible talk earlier and I didn't use this terminology. I'm going to use it now. The Bible is infallible but this is an English translation of what God gave us in Hebrew or Greek. If you want to talk about it being, you know, it says day, you know, okay, fine. Go back to the Greek or the, the Hebrew, whichever verse you're looking at. Go back to that language, nail it down there because that one is infallible. This is English translation. A group of people sat down, went through Hebrew or went through Greek and did the best they knew how to do at yeah. that time. Yeah. So I don't want people to think we don't believe the Bible's true. It is completely true as it was originally written. Yeah, and you know, he actually makes this point. I'm going to go back and read it because I, I came across it earlier when you were going through, but he says this. There's two basic methods of thought or two schools of thought as to how God gave inspiration, and, and there's basically two ideas. The verbal inspiration. In other words, 
they heard exact words and they wrote exact words down. And then there's the thought interpretation or inspiration where you know the person was was writing in their own words a picture of what God was giving to them. And uh, he doesn't settle which side he's on. He just says there's basically two two views of thought there. And and then that he holds himself to the infallibility of God's word. And this is where, as we were mentioning earlier, it's okay to believe in dogmas, but understand that either A, that does not make you more of a Christian than someone else, or B, that everyone else has to correspond to your, to your dogmas. And we love to do that because we love certitude. Because if we're right, then as I said earlier, right gives us privileges. And some people are afraid to say sometimes in Scripture, I just don't know. Because it's, a, it's almost like they feel like their salvation is threatened. Guys, get over that. Your salvation is assured in Jesus Christ. You don't have to know all the details, uh, you know, about the word day or, or whatever. The Lord will show you as you need to know it. Just grow in Him. But, but don't feel threatened by any of this. Go to the Word. Stick with the Word. Yeah, and... I told my students last week, or two weeks ago, last time we met, um, I said, and parents and grandparents, you know, go ahead and throw stuff through the camera at me if you like, but I said to them, I said, you know, the next time somebody tells you that the Bible says something in plain English, ask them how the Bible got to that plain English. You know, and it's what Clint was saying earlier. You know, it was written in an original language, and then it's been copied multiple times and, and interpreted, interpreted, and so it is true but when somebody says that to you, what they're basically saying is, in plain English, is my view of that word is the only view that is possible. And that's not true, as he points out in this Hebrew word, y'all. So as we look at creation, he gives us some ideas here to kind of hold on to. And uh, he goes through the order of creation and the cause of creation um, and how God brought those things about and how the creation was shaped, you know, the light and then the beast and then the I mean the plants and then the beast and then it's interesting how on the fifth day the birds and the fish uh, are the days that were given on that day and he points out how they have this different exoskeleton than the typical created being and it's just an interesting thought to, to follow and you can tell he's obviously read a lot deeper and wider on this subject than I have uh, but I want to just give you a couple of things here to consider as we as we do this and wind this lesson up there are a couple lessons that we can get from creation. And the first is this. This begins, the actual creation itself, and then our ability to go back to Scripture and read about it, begins the revelation of God. Uh, and that God was present in the beginning. Before there was matter, there was God. Yeah. Um, and God is the result. I mean, matter is the result of God bringing it to, into existence. And so we see, first of all, the revelation of God. We see God as plural but singular. Scripture talks about how the Spirit was hovering over the waters and then the work of creation itself being done. We're taught later about that as we read about it in Colossians and John, how it was the Word, which was the person of Jesus, bringing the reality of creation into, into being. And then the second thing we learn about is the reality of man, that man is created in the image or to reflect God, to uh, represent Him. And so we see that as well. And then the last one is the creation teaches us about redemption. God has made things good. It is God's intent for things to be good. And uh, he's planning to restore things to being completely good. 
Yeah, I, I, I like everything that was said here, you said here, and uh, I recommend that folks take the time. I know this is a long video today. We're gonna to try to make the next two that we do shorter because uh, we don't want to abuse you folks. But uh, I think this is some good stuff to get us started. Yeah, so you look at these two basic doctrines that Baptists believe that, that scripture is from God. It's a revelation of God to man. It's a, it's a call for man to respond to God. Um, that has purpose in its uh, being and its breadth and its scope and, uh, and then we begin to look at creation as, as something that God himself brought about and that we have a now a relationship with him and the possibility of what is still to come so thank y'all for joining us thank you